This is Help Wanted, the show that makes your work work for you. I'm Jason Pfeiffer, Editor-in-Chief of Entrepreneur Magazine. And I'm money expert Nicole Lappin. On Tuesdays, Jason and I answer the helpline and help callers solve their work problems. And on Thursdays, I give you one way to improve your work and build a career or company you love. And it starts now. Hi, my name is Mike and I have a production company. And my question today for Nicole and Jason is, if you're trying to make money in a content business, is it always smart to splurge for the highest quality product? Mike, Coscarelli, Cospaghetti, welcome to Help Wanted. Hello, Nicole. Hello, Jason. Thank you so much for having me. It's a pleasure to be here. It's a pleasure to have you. You are not a stranger. He is no stranger. It's true. Yeah. He worked on Money Rehab, OG Money Rehab days. That's like bringing the band back together. I miss you guys. Jason, we only hung out a handful of times. That's right. When I was a guest on Money Rehab. Yeah. And we're so proud of you. Look at you. Cover of Entrepreneur. Here we come. <laughs> yeah. It's, well, obviously, once... Let's fucking go. We, you know, we took a little Money Rehab hiatus. We all went in different directions. And here I am with a studio in Brooklyn where me, with the help of a few other people, are trying to get off the ground and turn into a... Uh, functioning, profitable business. Mazel tov. So tell us about the business. Well, we're a production company, but primarily we're a podcast network. So I kind of followed in the same footsteps that you did, Nicole, creating MNN. I've created a brand called Slickback Studios. The brand itself is not officially launched yet. So we're working on some primarily right now podcasts that record full service video, full audio, as high as quality as possible. And that's the baseline for the business. We're planning on launching the brand itself probably the first couple weeks of January when it will be something that we're actually promoting and trying to get people to come listen to. But for now, working on the shows individually and the long-term plan is to do more than just podcasts. We want to do more in the video content space. Everything is content now, so you have to use that word. Jason's favorite. <laughs> it's a really a meaningless word, but totally meaningless. It, tur- it yeah. turns everything that you do into a widget. Exactly. Yeah. It doesn't have any real meaning in terms of artistic creativity, trying to make anything, but we'll use it for the sake of helping the audience really capture what we're trying to do here. And Mike, content creation in some form or another comes up quite a lot on this show because Nicole and I are both in the business of content creation. If I can continue to say that phrase without vomiting. But the reason that we were excited to talk about this with you is because this goes far beyond content. If you are listening to this and you are not in the content business, that is totally fine because you are in some way or another still facing the question that you, Mike, are dealing with, which is how much do you invest in the quality of the thing that you do? And how do you even define quality? And I happen to feel like professionals who are trained in any skill may have a detached understanding of what quality is relative to what their consumer thinks quality is. And I think that that can lead to some problems. And so I was excited to talk about this because I think that sometimes like you listening to this right now, whatever you think good looks like for your job may not be what other people think good looks like for whatever they consume or whatever they want from you or the people who you work with. And you better understand that. Do you understand it? Well, so here's the dilemma, because 
I agree with Jason a thousand percent. And really, this was one of the main questions that came up when I was kind of thinking of what the best thing to ask you guys was, because I don't have just one problem as a new business owner. There's a million of them. But this one, I think as somebody that has entered the space that I'm in, fancying himself as sort of like, a, you know, an auteur, somebody that wants things to be the absolute highest quality and that wanting that to be sort of the brand, the idea that it's like the highest level. I've taken a lot of inspiration outside of that from even just the restaurant business in New York City. And if you watch The Bear, that's the constant struggle with like that main character. He's constantly trying to like do his best, but he's also running a beef shop. So it's this high, low sort of dilemma that really becomes an, an interesting problem for like like somebody that is in any kind of field where there is a um, a quality issue and you have to make your product stand out. And I think that's that's where I'm at. So no, to answer your question, Nicole, I don't know that I know that because I get frustrated sometimes in the content business looking at some of the stuff that hits and gets really big. There's a part of me that scoffs at some of it because I'm just like, oh, this is shit. This and but it's got a million views or a million downloads. And meanwhile, you can look at what you're making, thinking that it's of the highest quality, and people aren't necessarily finding it, or or it's not exactly what the consumer is used to seeing. But that becomes the issue. Yeah, it's like uh, being a you know Michelin star, James Beard, la 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 chef, like in line around the block for In and Out. Right. Exactly. It is, it's, it, that is the dilemma. Mike, before we dig into this, can you give a specific example of something that you have struggled with? Maybe it's deciding whether or not to invest in something that would increase quality as you see it, but then seeing that people want something that is the opposite of that. How is this manifesting in the decisions you're making? The biggest one that I can look to, I think, immediately is sound. Obviously, my background, even just working on Money Rehab, I was the sound guy. So for me, I hear things in mixes for podcasts or music or whatever. And to me, it fucks up my ears if it's not a quality that I think is passable. But the way the industry is right now, even having people into the studio to rent it, you know, in my mind, I want the highest quality mics. Whatever I think I can justify affording at the highest quality, I want it. Because for me, it's got to work for my ears. And then people will come in here and they're using the mics like out here. You know, you start to realize that that is almost of zero importance to some of the people that come in here. But as a person that is trying to create high quality audio, like how could I live with myself if I just say like, we got a couple mics, it's fine, fuck it, come on in. And Well, because here's why. Because Mike, you're not in the audio business. You're in the service business. And everybody is, you know, you're not in the hamburger business, you're in the service business, you know, whatever. It's, it's all the same. And the thing that you need to know is what matters to the people who you serve. And the incredibly frustrating thing is that the thing that matters to them very well may not be the thing that matters to you. I will give you three examples of this. Example number one, I have a friend who runs a paint and sip. They're art studios. People come in and they learn how to paint and they bring their own wine. And my friend has an art background. He's an incredible painter. And when he first started this business, he was like, I'm going to teach people the classics. You know, they're going to come in and they're going to do Van Gogh's and they're going to do. And it was tough to fill those classrooms. And then he started 
offering classes online where people would come in and just paint the crappiest, cheesiest landscapes and like paintings of flowers and stuff. Just like stuff that makes you want to vomit as an artist. And those rooms filled immediately, (laughs) which he hated, but that's how he built his business. Number two is I used to be obsessed with magazine making. I'm still in the magazine industry now, but I used to be obsessive over what magazines were doing and how to cram as much on a page as possible and how to work with the designer to make the most elaborate designs and you know these cool things and text all over the place and you got to turn it upside down to read it. And I don't make that for my own magazine anymore because I have one designer, Paul, bless him, who has to design the entire magazine because that's the budget we have. So our pages are pretty simple, which means that I haven't looked at anything but simple pages in a long time. Recently, I picked up an issue of Wired, which still designs like that, and I found it impenetrable. I could not read Wired because I couldn't follow anything that was happening on the page, even though I understood exactly why it was designed that way, because it was made by a bunch of people who love making magazines. Example number three, Entrepreneur Magazine, which is where I work. So we publish on entrepreneur.com both stories written by professional writers who sometimes spend months on three and 4,000 word pieces that are lovingly picked over. And then we publish stuff that somebody wrote in five minutes for breaking news or something that a non-professional writer, like a, just an entrepreneur wrote. It's five ways to market your business for free or some whatever, right? And then you look at the traffic and you see that almost always the stuff that was like cranked out or was written by non-professional writers, does infinitely better than the stuff that was lovingly crafted by professionals. And all of this has given me the rather brutal, but has to be respected understanding that my sense of taste does not match the consumer's sense of taste. And if I want to be in business, then I actually need to understand the consumer's sense of taste and then bring my quality sensibilities to it, but making sure that I remain in the business that I'm in, which is ultimately the service business. As I've been saying this, you've been nodding along because I think I'm saying things that you may know, but have had a hard time accepting. That's exactly what it is. The weird thing when you go into these types of businesses where you really put a lot of heart and soul into the creative aspect of what you're doing, that could be basket weaving, podcasting or cooking or you know, woodworking, whatever. You have to almost kill a part of yourself unless you're a hit right out of the gate, which, I mean, how often does that happen? It hasn't happened here. (laughs) But I do think that's the thing that's difficult when you put so much love into the product that you're trying to put out there. It's hard to think of yourself as a business person, I think. And I think this is part of like the metamorphosis of taking your business to the next step if you are a creative person. You have to like think more like famously Francis Ford Coppola, the director of The Godfather, was a horrific businessman when it came to anything that he did related to movies and then became a good businessman to the things like around his fortune. The weird thing is I relate to that and I'm trying my hardest to relate more to the people that can compartmentalize and just do good business. And I think that is a part of what I'm struggling with as I get started here. You're making this assumption, Jason, and I think it's a good assumption, but I just want to clarify that Mike is optimizing to be successful with 
the public versus peers? Because I think there is a differentiation. It's a little of both. I think when you make stuff, you have a bit of an ego that you know best and what you're going to put out there is, you know, audience be damned. You just make it and they love it. You're right, Nicole. It is also peers because part of the business here is trying to get other people that do what I do to work with me because it's high quality. But there is also that killing of the ego that exists that's like, all right, let me meet these people that consume this halfway, which is tough when you're, you know, a blowhard. Yeah. My answer to that would be, are your peers paying your bills? Because if they're not... I will say that as of right now, because we're, again, we're not publicly open for business yet to consumers, the people that are paying the bills are people that will come and rent the studio and use stuff. So... I've worked with some production companies that needed a place to do a voiceover and they'd come to me and then we'd get their person in here. That's really where the brunt of the business is right now. But yeah, Jason, like moving forward, the broader picture is to eventually, you know, get advertisers on the shows that we work on and work directly with. We're trying to be in your business. (laughs) You know what I mean? This is what the grand plan is. Why? Or part of it. (laughs) Yeah, trust me. I I ask myself the same shit every day. (laughs) Yeah, that's for another call. (laughs) I'm going to give you a fourth example because as we were talking, I'm going to make a broader point about it. Stick around. Help Wanted will be right back. Nicole, have you ever thought about the one that got away? Jason, I am happily in a relationship. You know that. No, the hire that got away. Someone that you thought was perfect for your team, but ah, they were already with another employer. Oh, well, in that case, yeah, I think about her all the time. Well, it's not too late. You can reach out to that person on LinkedIn. LinkedIn Jobs helps you hire professionals that you can't find anywhere else, even people who aren't actively searching for a new job but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. Okay, looks like it's time for me to shoot my shot. Do it. And I know you may have your heart set on one person, but if you do want to open it up and post a role to a bigger applicant pool, you can do it for free at linkedin.com slash help wanted. And because there are so many professionals on LinkedIn, 86% of small businesses get a qualified candidate within just 24 hours. So you'll never have a one that got away again. Incredible. That's linkedin.com slash help wanted. Yep. LinkedIn.com slash help wanted. Terms and conditions apply. Happy hiring ever after. Welcome back to Help Wanted. Let's get to it. So I remember years and years ago interviewing a woman named Shira Burke, who is the founder of Goody Girl Cookies, which if you're gluten-free, you probably know because they're one of the dominant gluten-free cookies now, but you can find them anywhere. They're great. And she was telling me that the big hurdle that she ran into when she first launched her business was that like Shira is, if I remember correctly, she has a like a music PR background or something. And she's punk rock. Like she looks cool. She dresses cool. And she wanted to create a brand that has attitude and that was really unique. So the packaging was really fun. And then she was making all these like wacky gluten-free cookies that you'd never seen before. And they weren't selling. And retailers were starting to say things to her like, can you just make a chocolate chip cookie? <laughs> you make like a <laughs> right. like an Oreo kind of cookie. And at first she was so offended by this, but also she had to accept the fact that the things that she was making 
weren't selling. And so then she started making a chocolate chip cookie and an Oreo, and they started to sell really well. And she struggled with that for a long time because it felt like it was ripping away her creativity. Like She got into this business to be creative. But what she ultimately came to was, look, she's still making the best chocolate chip cookie that she thinks is out there. And there's something to be said for that. And her job isn't to like come up with weird things for people to eat. Her job is to make people happy. And if the thing that makes them happy is to find a gluten-free version of the kind of cookie that they long to eat but can't, then that's success. And it doesn't mean like selling out and it doesn't mean making a poor quality cookie, right? Like cookie's still really good. It's just not like the wacky thing that she came up with. And I think that like regardless of what business you're in and to be specific to yours, it's great to know what good looks and sounds like. And it's great to be committed to that. And I think that where you might want to adjust is number one, and you're going to have to make decisions about what to invest in and what not to invest in. And you're going to want to ultimately start to optimize for the things that are going to like matter the most to the people who are coming in, right? Like if it's between upgrading the microphone in a way that only you will hear or buying the more comfortable chair and some cookies that they can eat while they're in the studio, maybe the comfortable chair and the cookies is the way to go because that's going to matter to them. And give yourself a break because you know you can create an incredible audio product that audio nerds will love and there will be the opportunity to do that. But that doesn't mean it has to be the thing that you always do. And it doesn't mean that you're doing crap when that's not what people want. It's funny that you bring up the cookie thing because I had somebody in here probably two weeks ago and somebody said something to me about how I should have a fridge in here. And I was like, what the hell are you talking about? <laughs> Who cares about a fridge? But you're right. Even if it's just the service of having people in here to record, you know, if they really don't know the difference, I guess it's something that I just have to swallow and get the fridge and not worry as much about the microphone or worry about like having the highest quality camera in here or whatever. John Taffer, who hosts this TV show called Bar Rescue, he makes this point that I really like, which is that when he talks to restaurateurs, he says, you are not in the food business, you're in the reaction business. Which is to say, like, if the food doesn't come out and doesn't get a good reaction, if people don't sit up and they're like, mm, that looks delicious. Oh, I can't wait to dive into that. Then you have failed. It doesn't matter how good the food tastes. You're in the reaction business. You need to manage people's experience of being there, not just how good the food is. And I think it's a really valuable exercise, like regardless of what it is that you do, to just ask yourself, like, what business am I really in? And take yourself away from whatever it is, right? Like, you're not in the business of creating audio. I would say you're in the business of helping people communicate or something like that. What business are you in? For right now, I think that's fair. I think that the scaling up hopes are that it's more the entertainment business or the business of making people feel good or pass their time or whatever. But there's times I also feel like if people are just coming in here to use the studio, I think I'm in the ego stroking business at times. You are. You know? <laughs> I mean, all businesses are. For sure. <laughs> for sure. And who are your customers? And by the way, it can be split. I mean, I look at our customers as being audience members and also clients. But who are yours? I think Nicole was probably onto something earlier when she said that some of them are peers because for right now, the thing that is kind of 
the only real income for the business as we get started are the people that are coming that are within the entertainment business that need help with a voiceover reel or they want to do their podcast here and do a pilot here. And so that's why when I say the ego stroking business, it is similar to the John Teffer thing. Taffer. My bad. <laughs> but you want people to come in here and be like, wow, look at the cameras. Look at the microphones. This place is like hot shit. This is a real deal. It is similar to that because as of right now, those are the people that I'm serving directly for the moment. I mean, it's a great point, Jason. I, I really didn't think of it like that. But when nobody knows the difference anyway, I guess sometimes it is just about having the client get excited over the fact that like they see themselves on a screen, they hear their voice in headphones, and it doesn't necessarily have to be, you know, you could maybe save $50 here and there on headphones or the mic or whatever. The bigger question is, do you give people what you think they want or what they actually want? And then it's like double clicking on what they actually want and understanding that better, whether you survey them, whether you ask them. I think like where it gets tricky and where all businesses and entrepreneurs can get themselves in trouble is when you assume any of those things. The moment with the fridge is a really instructive one, right? What that tells you is that there are things that people want that you're not thinking about because you're not thinking of it as service that you provide. So it's worth asking. When people come in to use the space, ask them things like, what would make this better? What other needs do you have that I could fulfill? Companies have these people who are often called audience insights researchers who basically ask customers versions of these questions. It's like, it's not just like, what do you like? Who cares <laughs> in a way, right? It's like, what don't you like? What was the thing that stopped you from referring our company to your friend? What are the unfilled needs that you have when you come into the studio? These kinds of questions, which you don't have to ask them in a formal survey, but just kind of slip it into conversation. You'll start to hear things that will shape the way in which you serve your client. I was talking once to the president of Reebok years ago, and he was telling me about how, in his view, you can't compete on quality anymore. And the reason is because quality is so easily achievable. Manufacturing is so good now and so readily available that pretty much any company that makes a product can make a good product. If you launch a pair of scissors into the marketplace, you cannot compete on being the sharpest scissors. Everyone's the sharpest scissors. You can't make a sharper scissors than already exists in the market. So it's got to be something else. You compete on story, you compete on comfort, you compete on culture, you compete on branding. You have to compete on all these other things. Because, you know, like Mike, you are very good at what you do. You understand audio very well, but you're not the only person in the world who understands audio. And so if it comes down to, do I go to this studio because they understand audio, or do I go to this other studio because they understand audio and also they have free cookies, which one do you go to? <laughs> right. <laughs> I mean, honestly, what is the number one thing people say when they go to interview at Google? It's fucking Google. But what's the number one thing you hear? The food. And I've been to a bunch of the cafeterias. They're amazing. It's food. And when I was interviewing <laughs> in New York between Bloomberg and CNBC, I was like, God damn it. They have fresh ground peanut butter at Bloomberg. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> That was the thing I remembered. It costs 
in the scheme of Bloomberg's business, to say it's a rounding error would be like so generous. <laughs> it means nothing in the scheme of their business, but it meant a lot to me. I've talked about that ground peanut butter <laughs> a lot. <laughs> so if I take anything away from this, I should get the fridge. Or peanut butter. Or peanut butter. Or both. <laughs> I think what you take out of it is ask people or undercover boss it or have somebody else ask them or do a little due diligence. You guys might not think that in a studio, my feet get really cold, but I would love a little foot heater, <laughs> for instance. And so those little things that you might, you're not the same sex or you're not the same age or you're not the same like some other demographic of people. Now, granted, if you're not serving those people, then it doesn't matter for the sake of your business. But if you are, there just might be some blind spots to their actual needs or creature comforts. Yeah, I think you're 100% right. And the starting point of this place was really not all that aesthetically pleasing. We've done a lot to try to dress it up and make it more luxurious looking, even if it's a little bit budget luxury. But that's the other thing too. I When I first got in here, I bought furniture that was way too expensive and I regret it now. I bought a concrete table for $2,000. I was like, I got it. It's fine. I got the money. Oh Don't worry about God. it. It's a great table though, Nicole. Like, you got to see it. I mean, <laughs> it's like 600 pounds. I can't even. Not approved. <laughs> this idea of whether it's luxury or not is not necessarily the point. It's like, it's really trying to differentiate between what you think you want for the business and what the business actually wants or like the customers, the clients actually want. And so I don't know, like maybe Anna Wintour is your client and she fucking loves a concrete table, in which case like buy all the concrete tables. So like looking at it in a vacuum, we don't know what the best investments are because you're just the barometer. I mean, we'll all be the barometer. Like I don't think anyone really wants a $2,000 table in the scheme of startup land. But these areas that you might not even realize because you're assuming what's good or not, like you're probably so overwhelmed by a thousand decisions that you're making, firefighting all day long, that you're trying to make the best decision. It's not for lack of wanting to make the best decision or wanting the best for the business, but it's just you're not even putting it in the priorities to ask, which actually should probably be scooted up so you can better make those decisions. Like, I don't know, when I'm in a studio, I'm just looking right now around my studio and I'm getting an extra hook because I have like a lot of things that I just throw with all the shirts that I need to change. Like, do you have a hook in your bathroom? I don't know. Or a rack? Maybe you don't need that. But if I were in your studio, I would want that. And it's a hook. It's $5. It would help me and make my life better and more convenient. And you might not realize that because you wear the same shirt. I mean, Jason wears the same shirt all the time. All Jason the time. can't taste. I know it's our favorite discussion, but like Jason doesn't care about fucking peanut butter, but Jason probably cares about a phone charger or something. I don't know. Yeah. Also, even though I can't taste, I still like peanut butter. I'm going to read you some random <laughs> thing that I found online that has a slightly different message, but I think applies to this too. Whatever you think you can't do, just know that there is someone who is confidently doing it wrong right now. They have no plans at doing it better either, and people are paying them to do it. Please believe in your own excellence as much as they believe in their mediocrity. All right, here's why I'm reading that to you. How does it apply to this moment? Here's how it applies. Because there are studios that you are going to compete against that are going to be worse than you in like every technical way. They will have invested in less technology. They will be less skilled than you. And they will be doing better than you. And you're like, why? 
right? And, and that message on Instagram was a kind of like self-motivational thing. You believe in yourself just fine. But I think that the thing that you're going to have to remember is that sometimes the reason that people win isn't because of what experts think quality is. And so don't let your expertise get in the way of actually serving the people that you're serving. Because other people may win because like Nicole said, there's the peanut butter or there's the feet warmers. But I have learned this for myself in those examples that I shared at the beginning of this episode. And it is something I remind myself of all the time, which is my expertise can also be my weakness and my greatest blind spot. And so I want to be good at things, but what I really want to do is be good at things that people find useful and want to make sure that I'm always building that bridge. And that often means stepping outside of yourself as much as possible. That is not to denigrate quality. I love quality, but people sometimes think that the peanut butter is what creates quality. I mean, think about freaking surgeons going to medical school, doing all this schooling stuff. And what do patients comment on the most? These are fucking like jokes and yeah. personality <laughs> and bedside manner. Like how offensive is that? So look, we're not saving lives. This is not that serious. But Mike, I will say pretty amazing audio. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, you got that. Now just get the fridge. Help Wanted is a production of Money News Network. Help Wanted is hosted by me, Jason Pfeiffer. And me, Nicole Lappin. Our executive producer is Morgan Lavoie. If you want some help, email our helpline at helpwanted at moneynewsnetwork.com for the chance to have some of your questions answered on the show. And follow us on Instagram at moneynews and TikTok at moneynewsnetwork for exclusive content and to see our beautiful faces. Maybe a little dance? Oh, I didn't sign up for that. All right. Well, talk to you soon. 